0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Anne Gordon here with my friend Anne Ozband, our daf of the Day. Yevamot, daf Samachet, page 68. Um, okay. I want to talk here about a, a bit on Ahmed Aleph that is working off of the piece in the Mishnah Dana, that you read yesterday about the boy who's nine years old and one in one day. Nine year and one day old. Um, and this is mentioned on Ahmed Aleph in the name of Rava, and then it states a braita, and then later on the daf, the Gemara introduces the braita by itself. So that's where I'm reading from. The line begins Gufa, and it's talking about it. It presents the braita that has been referred to already up on the daf. So. It's not you know again, not p c this, uh, this is a this is a nine year old nine years and one day old boy who is either and coming from the tribes of Amon or moab, meaning whatever it is there's it's a convert the Gemara presumes the Gemar presumes that the brightah here is talking about somebody who has origins in these nature in these nations but now is part of the B'nai Israel, otherwise what's he doing here at all um or he comes, again, from Egypt or from Edom or from, he's a Samaritan or from the Givonim or he's a Halal, meaning the child of uh, a relationship that a Kohen and, let's say, a Kohen and one of the relation- one of the people he's not supposed to marry, like a uh, Grusha, a divorcee, or a Mamzer, which is the progeny of any of the illicit sexual relationships. And then this nine years old and one day, nine year and one day old um, kid engages in intercourse with a Kohenet, with the daughter of a Kohen or the daughter of a lady, or for that matter, a Yisrael, meaning the daughter of a Yisrael. And any of these uh, people are now going to be disqualified from marrying into the kohuna. They can't marry Kohanim. Now, one of the things that I think is most difficult here is this question of, are we talking about people who are in fact non-Jews or are we talking about people who are converts from these nations? And this is, you know, a matter of commentary and dispute. Um, But it does seem to be that there's a a very strong uh, thread amongst amongst the commentaries. It says these people are converts and these converts are not. If a convert then sleeps with any of these populations, then it makes her not fit to marry the kahuna. Now, the tricky part of that is um, I think it's widely known that this is a true statement about a non-Jew and a Jew. But what happens when you've got a convert? Don't we want to treat gayrim converts as, as, you know, that they should leave their past behind, that we're going to welcome them with open arms? You know, the idea that the people that are most vulnerable in our society or in their society back in the day, who need the attention and the concern of the people of the community at large includes, right, widows, uh, almana, yatom, right, uh, an orphan, and gayrim are on that list. You know, be kind to the gear is is a very um, it, I want to say it's very prominent. It's a statement that's made many, many times in the Torah. So um, the idea that this is and here we're talking again, we're talking about a child who under you know is not always even physically ready for this particular act, right? And yet, yet the gemara, the brayta here says that it would disqualify her from the kahuna, from marrying into the kahuna. Uh, Rabbi Yosef Omer. Rabbi Yossi says, So Rabbi gives us a general principle, as opposed to listing, you know, listing off all of these nationalities. He says, "Anybody whose offspring, anybody whose children are is, is going to be unfit to marry into kahal Hashem, into into you know the Jewish people, then then um, that will posel, that will disqualify whatever woman he sleeps with." right? But if the progeny would be fine, meaning it's not going to be a halal, not going to be a mom, there's not going to be some kind of problematic status, then sleeping with the father is not going to do anything for the mother. Meaning it's not going to disqualify or invalidate her, uh, for anybody going forward. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel Omer So Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says anybody whose daughter you could marry You could likewise marry that same person's widow, right? Meaning even if you're a Kohen, if you could marry the person's daughter, then you could marry the person's widow. Don't worry about all of these. um, I I don't know if it's fair to say don't worry about all of these different nationalities marrying in, but not every status that is listed in this Breita is going to be a problem because some of them, again, like if they would have children, then their children would be kosher as compared to, let's say, the child of a Momser who's still a Momser and cannot marry You know, cannot marry Cohen, cannot marry Yisrael for that matter, right? So then the point then is that um, you don't, if somebody has a daughter who could marry, again, who could marry anybody, then the, then that daughter's mother, I guess, right? The widow would be eligible also to marry anybody, and likewise it says, And if you are not a- allowed to marry the daughter, you cannot marry the widow. Um, meaning again, it's a matter of a status. And again, all of this is really about Kohanim. It's not I made the point here about the moms there, but the Gemara is not. The Gemara is really talking about Kohanim. Um Okay, so uh, I don't have much to say about it, meaning it does, you know, it does um I don't know, it's not, when I say it's not politically correct, I mean that we don't want anybody's, uh, what, birth heritage to have any impact on how they're going to be treated. And I feel like we've talked about this, you know, enough times in the past to say, yeah, but halacha does, meaning halacha does pay attention to parentage and it does pay attention to uh, the child born of unions that were not supposed to happen. And we maybe can be pained at the fact that we're going to hold that against the child, so to speak, in terms of limiting who they can marry. But but that is the way this goes.
1: Again, I, we, we've mentioned this a few times. There's nothing emotional <laughs> going on in this stuff. This is all legal. And it's been that way for the last few doping. And although they're making uh, legal decisions that impact uh, marriageable status of people or who gets truma, who doesn't get truma, who's allowed to be married, who becomes a marriage, It's just a legal discussion for the It's There's nothing, and the Tanayim as well, but there's just, there's no emotion to it. And I think we're in society today, very used to thinking, you know, sort of like, what are the ethical implications or something, or what's the moral, or how does this emotion feel? That's not a Talmudic question on these, uh, at least in this particular discussion. And I think that's exactly what's sometimes frustrating about Talmudic learning.
0: Um. Yeah, I, I think that, I think it's hard to separate, Um, I don't know, maybe it's not hard to, I think that for plenty of people who feel the, um, I guess I want to say injustice, right, by modern sensibilities, this feels unjust, that the person is not being judged on their own merits, but on their, you know, the parent's relationship or the identity with which they're born, and then they don't get to, do, they can't do anything about that. So, I I kind of relate to the legal side of this. Like it just is what it is. And that doesn't make it easy depending on who you meet and who you want to marry. But it's also not necessarily an emotional thing because because what? Because I'm not in the re- real situation. But I think that in this day and age, we pay attention to the emotional side of those things much, much more.
1: Yeah, and, and, and the Gemara doesn't here. Um, I'm just going to move on to sort of a more technical thing, which is, a lot of what the staff is doing is, is we had this mishnah that stated a series of halachot of who disqualifies who or who prevents who from eating truma and what those relationships are. And then it's essentially trying to find the source for all of those things um, in the psukim uh, itself, right? And you know, doing sort of the typical like, well, does the pasuk, do we get it from this pasuk? Do we get it from that pasuk? Do we get it from this phrase? Maybe I need the phrase for this halacha that we learned, a, a very typical Gemara discussion. Um, one nice little nugget that's in there, which I think shows us that different people had different approaches to how they learned some of this material, right? That in other words, this, the, the linking a halakha to a particular pasuk or phrase was not monolithic. It wasn't completely agreed upon by anybody. Um, and so there's a very long discussion that starts in Ahmed Alf and goes all the way to um, Ahmed Bet, uh, which ultimately concludes that the daughter of a coin, who either has a sexual relationship with a, with a, you know, a man who's, you know, unfit in some way, no longer can have truma, or if she weds uh, a non-kohen, she can no longer have, tr- you know, can no longer has truma or any of the portions, um, you know, of, of the, uh, uh, that they get, you know, of the korbanos. And so then the Gemara says, and this is in Amurved, Ashkechan kohenet. Okay, so we found the source for the, for the, for the, you know, the Bat coin, the priestess. But what about the same halacha for a woman who is a lady or or a Israelite, who again has some type of sexual relationship with a man that she shouldn't be with, that they also cannot partake with your if they marry a priest? So, basically, uh, wh- where do we learn this from? Ravi Abba says in the name of Rav that it, there's a pasuk in Vayikra, chapter 22, verse 13, which is talking about a Kohen's daughter, and it reads, instead of it's just saying bat, it says ooh, right? It has this extra uh, vav there, and the word the, the vav there, which in this case means the word uh, "but," right? It seems to be extra, and it, it teaches us uh, it sort of expands that the bot that we're talking about is not just the bot of a coin, but also is uh, other women as well. So, hachanami, so here too, right? Uh, since we have bot, right? If we're talking about the coin's the daughter, and then it says Ubat, right? What it's telling us is that the u is adding the daughter of a, of a lady and the daughter of a, of a yisrael, that, that extra vav has to be that. And so then the Gemara wants say, "Come on, okay. Whose opinion is this actually like? K'rabbi Akiva. It is like Rabbi Akiva. Did darish vavim? Because Rabbi Akiva would give dress of these extra vav's, these extra vav's that maybe met and or maybe met, but he would give a lot of dress of them. Afilu Rabbanam. But if you want, you could even say the rabbis who did not make halachot from the extra vav. Kule uva Right. They would say that the word daughter in this uh, particular pasuk is actually superfluous. The whole word is superfluous because the word daughter is mentioned in the previous pasuk uh, in, in verse 12. And, you know, you're talking about a daughter. So this pasuk, this bat has to be referring to the the Levian the women and the, and the Israeli women. So I thought this was just. a That shows how ultimately we get to the same halakha. You know, using the method of looking very carefully at the psukim, but having very different approaches. And I respect that the Gemara is not just interested in what's the bottom line, halakha process is also important. And so they take the time to tell us, oh, we have Rabbi Akiva in one camp who he's very comfortable using the word Vav, and that must be, you know, what the teaching of Rabbi Abba uh, in the name of Rub is based on because he's using the Vav teaching. But, you know, we also I'm going to tell you also how Rabbanan learned it out as well and how they get to the same halacha. And so I, I find this to be I think we've mentioned this a few times, but there's something that was very crystallized for me in this particular passage that, you know, A, the importance of process. Right. The Gemara just doesn't want to know what the halacha is. They want to know how did you get to that? And B, it's very accepting of multiple interpretations there are different ways to look at the Torah Shabbat and to think about it in that way, that the Torah Shabbat it's fixed, right? Like the, the text itself is fixed. Okay. I know the academics out there are not going to agree with me, but you understand what I'm saying. Like it's just supposed to be fixed, you know? Um, but you know, here I, we, you know, like here, it's trying to tell us that like, when it comes to the Torah Shabbat pen, the relationship to the Torah Shabbat It's not fixed. We're really allowed to have a lot of multiple interpretation.
0: Um, Yeah, I feel like, you know, we take it for granted. We talk about it all the time. And then every so often we come across it in a way that puts it into sharp relief and say like, they really meant this. And I think we really mean it, too. But I think it's a hard way to function. Right. It would be easier if we could say everything just has one meaning, meaning too bad for you. You know, like, I'm glad that's not how it is. But like I said, I think there are ways it would be easier.
1: Yeah. But and 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 again, the fact that all those opinions have to be recorded, I, I just think there's a. I mean, again, this is what I love about Gamara learning is that diversity of opinion is ultimately a value. And I think we see that very nicely in this particular passage.
0: That's our Duff News for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about this stuff. Thank you to Rabineet Michelle Farber for hosting us on the 100 website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.